Hello, uh, it's great to be on, online again with the Zoom. Let's begin with a prayer. Oh Lord, open our eyes to see what is beautiful, our minds to know what is true, and our hearts to love what is good. Amen. In uh, my Bibles, the last section of the letter of James, which we've, we had read to us today, James, the brother of Jesus, has the heading, The Prayer of Faith. James' experience of the Christian uh, church is a congregation of people who pray and praise. He says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Everything uh, we experience in life can be reflected back to God in prayer. The congregation was a community of believers and all of life was brought to God in prayer. In a church with soul groups, a lot of the shared prayer and pastoral care goes on in small groups where people know each other and where caring and healing relationships happen naturally over a cup of coffee and time spent together. Supportive friendships are built in this, in this way. Many of the New Testament churches uh, would have been meeting in houses uh, just as we do in our cell groups and networking with other groups just as we do. Small groups are of great value within a congregation. It's possible to feel lost in a large congregation, but when we are a member of a small group, we quickly feel that we belong. It's especially important in communities like the English-speaking community in Eindhoven, where many of us are far away from our families and friends, and we're also scattered across the city and in the surrounds of Eindhoven. So James is writing to a church like ours. Are you sad, he says? Are you in trouble? Well, God is longing to give us what is best. As we come to God in our sadness, we can grow closer to him. Are you happy, he says? Are you content? Are you satisfied? Prayer is not just for emergencies. When we're happy, we shouldn't be full of self-congratulation at our luck or skill. Giving thanks to God through praise and thanksgiving is how we stay in touch with reality and grow closer to the Lord. When we're sick, we also feel the need to pray. Cases of sickness are rightly the concern of the cell group and of the whole church. And James is not giving us a magic formula. He says, is any of you sick? Let him call for the elders, the elders of the church. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus and the Apostles were regularly healing, healing people. One-fifth of the Gospels, that's 3,700 verses, are related to healing miracles. 
In the Acts of the Apostles, miraculous healing led up to or followed the preaching of the gospel. The healing ministry was very important throughout the first centuries of the church. And James wrote, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, how did James anticipate that this would work out in practice? James expects that the person who is sick should take the initiative and ask for prayer. That is their expression of faith. It's not a command, but it is a permission. James doesn't mention anything about the sick person's faith beyond that. This is sensible because many Christians who are, are ill find that personal prayer is difficult when they're physically low. Praying for the sick needs to be done by the church and done with loving care. The faithful prayer is on the part of the elders. St. Paul wrote to those who had a gift of healing and a gift of faith. And I'm glad to hear that there is a group studying the gifts of the Holy Spirit at the moment. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us should be exercised with humility. God's gifts are a treasure that we are entrusted with. They're not actually ours they stay God's. God's gifts are a treasure we're entrusted with, not something to be proud about or to exploit for personal gain. I've heard some sad stories of sick Christians who in faith have asked for prayer. Those who prayed for them prayed with great confidence and uh, eloquence. But when the person was not healed quickly, they suggested it must be because the sick person lacked faith. Now, I don't believe that that can be right. The sick person in that situation ends up sick and also feeling condemned for lack of faith. James would not have approved of that kind of prayer ministry. Our prayers are not powerful because of big words or an emotional delivery. The elders were pastors and overseers known for their wisdom and maturity and the responsibility to pray in faith was on those church leaders. It was a quiet ministry of prayer with anointing with oil for the sick. James gives his instruction and his promise. He says, pray in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. The phrase, the pair, the in my um, NIV, the phrase will make the sick person well is one word in Greek. It's the same word used for the Lord will save. James is expressing the faith that the Holy Spirit is at work still in the church to save and to heal. You're thinking back of what we were said two weeks ago about the um, about the need to control our tongues and to use our words 
wisely. Prayer is a truly positive way to use our tongues for good purposes. They were to pray in the name of the Lord, James says. It's God who heals. It's not the oil, it's not the faith or the elders who pray. Like all prayer, it is subject to God's will. But God often waits for our prayers of faith before he intervenes, intervenes to heal a person. James adds, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What is it that makes our prayers powerful? The Jewish Christians James was writing to know the, knew the description of the righteous um, man which you find in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The Jewish people thought of a righteous person as a someone who sought to live a life pleasing to God in obedience to his word. These were the kind of people that the apostles appointed to be leaders in the congregations. And when those leaders came to the sick person, it represented the church coming and the reassurance that that person, though they were sick, is still part of the congregation. They're still a precious member. They're still part of who we are as a church. We know from the Acts of the Apostles and the letters of Paul that Christians prayed regularly for one another. But physical healing was not the outcome every time people were prayed for. We know that on one of Paul's journeys, uh, Paul had to leave his helper Trophimus behind at Miletus because he was ill. I'm sure, I don't doubt that they prayed for him. But it wasn't well enough to go on with Paul. Paul also had a thorn in his own flesh. And though he prayed earnestly three times, it wasn't taken away. Many good and saintly people died in apostolic times, just as they do today. Another aspect of, uh, of James's uh, instructions is the anointing with oil. Praying for healing doesn't exclude using medical means. Paul advised Timothy to take wine with his water for the sake of his stomach. Medicine to purify the water and to make it safe. Oil was used as a medical treatment in those days, and it still is. Oil was used to soothe wounds in Old Testament times. And in Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan, the victim's wounds were treated with wine and oil. Anointing with oil may imply medical treatment, and it also sub, uh, symbolized the anointing with the Holy Spirit. It was a sign of God's goodness 
and an encouragement to faith and joy of restoration and strength. But one of the questions that troubles us is why are some people not healed when we pray for them? James seems to give some kind of real guarantee, pray and the sick person will be raised. So how do we understand that and put this teaching into practice without raising false expectations? I believe that miracles still happen and that the Lord our God is able to answer prayers. What I don't know is why he answers one prayer with a yes and another with a no, or sometimes saying not yet. And we can see this pattern in the book of Acts in, in quite serious circumstances. James, the brother of John, was taken into prison and his head was cut off. Peter was expecting the same treatment having been in prison in Jerusalem, but an angel came in answer to prayer and Peter was rescued. But later on, Peter was, was crucified in Rome. Paul suffered various beatings and stonings and imprisonments and shipwrecks, but he was saved through it all to carry on until finally he was beheaded in Rome. And, and, and James, who wrote the letter that we were studying, he was the brother of Jesus. He was executed in Jerusalem in AD 62 for refusing to deny, deny his faith in Christ. So you can see that some prayers were answered and some weren't. Some people were rescued and some weren't. And in the same way, prayer for healing is subject to the normal conditions of prayer. It's a mystery. But those who pray for healing see more people healed than those that don't. <laughs> we have to listen to the sick person's request and we look to the Lord for his blessing. Now, James draws our attention to the fact that sometimes there's a connection between sin and sickness. He's not implying that all sickness is because of our personal failings. I've got a good example of that. When uh, we went to Paraguay, we lived with the indigenous people. When we did a medical survey, we were shocked to discover that two out of every four children died before they reached their fifth birthday. Of the two surviving children, I'm dealing in averages here, not in any particular family. Of the two surviving children, one would be physically and mentally stunted because of poor nutrition. And out of four children, only one grew up healthy and strong. Now that wasn't because of the children's sin. It wasn't because of the parents' sin. It was because of structural economic factors that meant that the parents could not provide adequately for their children. 
what had happened was that the, the Indian people had been hunter-gatherers and they'd been free to roam throughout the whole land, gathering the wild fruits, making small gardens and, uh, and hunting for, uh, for meat. But the government had sold off the whole of the land and it had been developed as cattle ranches or forestry uh, extraction situations and the Indians uh, were left in a dependent position in situations where they weren't allowed to have gardens, they weren't allowed to hunt and, uh, and they weren't allowed to travel because of all the fencing, they weren't able to travel. And so uh, they were dependent on a few who could get jobs as cowboys and uh, it wasn't enough to feed the whole community. It just, it, things are often much more complicated. These are not personal things. In our own context, we are aware that some lifestyle choices can lead to poor health outcomes. For some of us, the wrong things we've done or failed to do can weigh heavily on our conscience and that too can make us ill. And that, I think, that is what James is uh, saying. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. At times, it can be helpful to confess our sins to another Christian. Our normal confession is direct to the Lord our God and his forgiveness is also direct to us. But at times it can be helpful to share with someone else. Sharing with a Christian friend can be a great help. It needs to be a person we trust to listen without judgment and to pray without gossiping. I just want to finish with a story. It's a story with a, a moral in it. <laughs> there were three Christians that went away for a day retreat and to spend time in prayer together. And as the day progressed, they grew in confidence in each other's company. And one opened his heart and confessed he had a serious problem. He was drinking too much and was finding it difficult to restrict what he drank. Another mentioned that he was struggling with an addiction to gambling and he asked for prayer. Now the third man also had a problem, but he didn't think it was such a big failing. He, he, he really looked at the lack of control in drinking and gambling and thought his wasn't such a bad thing. But imagine how shocked his friends were when he said uh, that he, he uh, had a tendency to gossip. They, uh, he obviously had not read the epistle of James. He had not taken in to heart the important importance of controlling his tongue. And if we are going to be useful in praying for our friends and neighbors, we have to learn how to keep a confidence. Confession in the right context and prayer together assure us that we are accepted 
and bring us new courage and comfort and healing. And our God will always forgive if we truly repent. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for your promise to be with us and to hear our prayers and bless us. When we are sad, when we are happy, when we are ill, and when we need your forgiveness. Guide our hands to do your work. Guide our feet to walk in your way. Guide our hearts to love what you love and our mouths to speak your blessing on, on the world. Amen. We're going to uh, turn to God using the words of the creed and to confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.